Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What up, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other half of the podcast. Kyle, what is good, my boy? Chilling, man. Just got home from work, took a shower, got some food in me, and ready to hit these topics, man. Hell yeah, bro. We're going to start it off on a hot note. We're going right into the NBA playoffs. Last night, we had the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. The Knicks ended up tying the series at one apiece we are also going to dive into some pre three game predictions like we did in the segment before we are going to talk about the knicks and the hawks in game three we're going to talk about the nets and the celtics and since we did touch on the majority of the mavericks and clippers we're going to just hit on that just a little little bit just to go over that and then uh you know we're going to talk about some of the fan antics that have been going on in the nba obviously within the last 24 or so hours we've had uh, three or four fan incidents in multiple games First, we had the popcorn incident with Russell Westbrook in Philadelphia. Then we had the spitting incident with Trey Young in New York. And then recently, there was a report of multiple fans getting uh, ex- – what's the word I'm looking for? Well, they, they were they escorted were out. Escorted, escorted. I knew it was an E. Sorry, guys, I'm having a brain fart. Um, there were multiple fans escorted out of the arena and banned from ever coming back for some verbal altercations. And that's not the first nor the second time we've heard of some issues coming out of Utah. So they, uh, I believe the team refused to comment on what exactly was said. So just, you know, furthers the point of these fans, now that we're getting back out to, you know, normalcy, are just going back to being some savages. So uh, other than that, right after that, we are going to touch on a little bit of the, or should I say, Kyle is going to touch a little bit on the Tampa Bay Lightning moving on to the next round in the NHL playoffs. And was there one more subject that I'm forgetting? Uh, Julio Jones. Julio Jones trade rumors. Things are heating up. There was a report today that he could potentially be moved as early as next week. And there were several teams that have reached out and fulfilled Atlanta's requirement of a future first round pick, if not a first round pick within next year's draft. Obviously, it's still future, but that's something that is a little bit closer than, you know, two or three years down the road. But anyway, we're going to get it started. So last night, the Knicks and the Hawks were going at it in the garden. The Knicks did not look very well in the first half. I watched this game from beginning to end. Coming from my perspective, seeing the garden erupt, even though the Knicks were down by 10-plus at at, at one point, was just absolutely insane. Um, The little things that were getting involved, uh, that were getting the crowd involved between a made layup, a dunk, a a steal, a block, is just it doesn't take much to get New York fans excited. It really doesn't take much to get basketball fans excited in general. But 
knowing that the garden was back and almost a full capacity to know that, that they, I feel like they willed the Knicks to come back, even despite Julius Randle's poor performance. Um, I think that that's great for basketball as a whole. And I think that that's great for the Knicks. And as I had stated, the Knicks did come back to win with the score of 101 to 92. They did hold the electrifying Atlanta offense down to under 100 points. And I think that that is kudos to Tom Thibodeau's adjustments that he made at halftime. Uh, Trey Young, unfortunately, did end up having 30 points again. Um, Bogdanovich had 18, but don't let that 18 be fooled. He did go 8 of 21 from the field and 2 of 13 from 3. So that was relatively in the first half that he did his damage. Uh, Clint Capella did not do well offensively, but he did have 5 blocks and 12 boards. And then... um, What's this man's name? Hunter, D. Hunter. Is that DeAndre Hunter? I, I always forget his name. Yeah, it is DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter had an 18-point game as well. So the Hawks as a whole played very well. But, you know, in the second half, they only scored 18 points in third, 17 in the fourth, totaling at 35 points for the second half. That's not going to get it done in the postseason. That's definitely not going to get it done anywhere in the NBA. So I just want to give a big kudos to Tom Thibodeau and those adjustments because obviously they pay dividends. And the Knicks ended up making a, a resurgent run. They went and scored 32 points in the third quarter and 25 in the fourth. Kyle, I know you didn't watch the game, but just based off the box score, what I told you, what is your feel for game three? What do you think is going to come from this, uh, this win in the Garden? See you in the A. That's what's going to happen. So whether we'll find out which team actually shows up in Atlanta, whether it's the Hawks or the Knicks, but – I think it's going to be a compelling game three. You got Trey Young, who in his first playoff series has been playing spectacular. And at at this point, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out and drops another 30-point game on the Knicks. Now, the only thing about Atlanta in these first two games, specifically in game two, I, I just want to point out, their bench was not that good yesterday. They got minimal production from their bench. Lou Williams was... Lou Williams... Only scored five points on one of six shooting. Kevin Herter scored 10. He only shot the ball eight times. And the rest of the starter, and then not the rest of the starters, the rest of the bench players that include uh, Tony Snell and Danilo Gallinari only managed to score six points. And Gallinari was two attempts from the field. So the starters didn't play necessarily bad. John Collins had a, a minimal impact because he only played 15 minutes. But offensively, they're putting a little bit too much pressure on Trey Young and Bogdanovich to carry the team. Obviously, those are the two primary scores, but they're going to need better bench production in game three if they want to be competitive with the Knicks to try to get this win to go up 2-1 in the series. Now, to kind of transition to the Knicks here, I thought the Knicks really played extremely well in the second half, and the box score reflects that just because they really did step up their defensive intensity against the Hawks. When you hold the team, to 35 points in the second half when some of these teams can go out and score 35 points in a quarter, they did a fantastic job. And it was really kind of a tale of two halves because like you mentioned, the Knicks were just struggling from the field just to get anything from their offense going in the first half. But in the second half, they really flipped it. And I think it was in large part due to the fact that they were able to play so well defensively. So I think that's probably going to be the winning formula. They're going to try to slow down. Trey Young as best as they can, force him to pass it to other players on the Hawks and force them to beat them. But if I'm just looking at the Knicks right now, even the fact that they won game two, they could still get better production 
across the board. Julius Randle, he only scored 15 points. He was 5 of 16 from the field. Reggie Bullock had a pretty solid game. Went 5 of 8 from the field. He scored 15 points. Clutch threes, man. Clutch threes in the second half by Reggie, bro. Big time. So, and then, but I'll tell you what. Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was a standout yesterday. It, he scored 26 points. Granted, he was only 9 of 21 from the field, but he was 2 or 3 behind the three-point line, and he knocked down all of his free throws. So, I know it's like what we mentioned before. Having a veteran presence like him on that team is absolutely crucial, and he stepped up when some of the younger players on the team just weren't able to knock down shots. So it was really good to see Derrick Rose. Even we saw some flashes of some vintage D Rose in that game yesterday. So hopefully they get similar production from him throughout the rest of the series, but this is going to be a fun series. I think this is going to be a back and forth series. I love the, I love the chippiness. I love the chatter between both teams. And I think it just adds to the excitement because the fans in the garden were going off against Trey Young. I mean, Trey Young was getting an FU chance within the first and they couple passed minutes. out flyers in the garden that said the chant of the day is Trey is balding. And I, I imagine that Atlanta's probably going to go just as well. I don't know if they're going to go as hard as the fans in New York, but Atlanta's definitely going to have some say towards the Knicks when they show up on the court. So all in all, this is going to be a very compelling series. I'm interested to see how both teams adjust now that the series is one, one, but I I think if you're looking at just let's take a deep dive just into how I think both teams are going to try to win this game. I think Atlanta is definitely going to have to try to get some of their bench players to step up and really try to take the pressure off of Trey young and Bogdanovich if they want to win game three. And then for the Knicks, I think just continue the defensive pressure on Trey young and their shooters and see if you could get similar bench production and maybe some better production from the starters. So when your leading scorer is Derek Rose and he, he's coming off the bench, you could probably get some better production from RJ Barrett at points, maybe Reggie Bullock and, and Julius Randle could step up a little bit just to take the load off of uh, Derek Rose a little bit, just to kind of spread, spread out the, uh, the wealth across the team in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, when your 32-year-old backup point guard is getting the leading minutes on the entire team with 39, that Tom Thibodeau is leaning on his veterans. I know that Derek Rose, Derek Rose in his post-game conference was set. Oh, the Yankees won, thank God. Um, split that doubleheader. Um, sorry, guys, distraction. When Derek Rose says in his post-game conference that he is the veteran leader in that locker room and he kind of has to rein the younger guys together to get them to calm their composure that shows in R.J. Barrett's lack of production back-to-back nights. He scored 13 points last night. He scored 14 in the first game. He was 5 of 14 from the field. Julius Randle, the best player on the Knicks, who just won the most improved player in the NBA. Obviously, as Kyle stated, 5 of 16, 2 of 7 from the 3. Only 15 points, but 12 rebounds. The game before that, I believe it was around the same. So, if your best player or your two best players throughout the entire regular season are failing to produce and your backup point guard is leading the way, I feel like that leaves a lot of open field for the Knicks to get better, a lot of room for improvement. Because if Derrick Rose continues to continues to produce, we get a little bit of an increase in production from Barrett and Randall together. I think that the Knicks have a formula to succeed. That bench is very electrifying with Obi Toppin, Taj Gibson, uh, Alec Burks, 
and uh, Emmanuel quickly. We all know that all of those players can explode in their own right. Obviously, Taj Gibson isn't a scorer. He's more of a defensive anchor and kind of the hype man on the team. But as Kyle stated, there is going to need to be more production pretty much all around. Norland's Noel only had 17 minutes with two points. He's not there for his offense either. And then we have Alfred Payton, who only had five minutes played with one point. Uh, I think that Tom Thibodeau needs to officially transition his way into putting D. Rose in the starting lineup because there's no reason why Alfred Payton should be in this game because of his inability on the offensive side of the ball and even on defense. In the five minutes he did play, he had a plus minus a seven. and Negative seven. Yeah, negative seven, excuse me. Um, I'm just sitting here looking at it, and I'm like, if, he, if he's not, not going to get any burn, get Emmanuel quickly in there, who's obviously a way better suited offensive threat and then put Derek Rose as the starter and then rotate him Reggie Bullock as the point guards obviously RJ Barrett 26 minutes unnecessary he is young he is relatively athletic as well there's no reason why he should be playing under 30 minutes when pretty much everybody every all the vets pretty much played 30 plus I mean we had Burks Rose Gibson Randall and Bullock play 30 and then you have your you know number two number three overall pick from just a few years ago playing under 30. There's no reason for it. Sure. He didn't have the best offensive night, but you got to kind of get him in his groove. So I would assume Tom Thibodeau comes with a little bit more of adjustment on the Atlanta side of the ball. Um, as Kyle stated, they definitely need some more help. Lou Williams was traded and acquired in the regular season via trade from the Clippers for this particular reason. They need him to show some veteran leadership and score in that second unit. We're definitely going to need to see more from Gallinari if they really want to make a run. And then, you know, John Collins, their young, high-flying uh, power forward, 15 minutes, zero points, absolutely unacceptable. So I don't know why he wasn't playing much. I don't know if it was because of his inability to shoot. I don't know if Atlanta just went with a sure-fired potential flamethrower of a roster because everybody on this roster can shoot other than Clint Capella, if you really think about it. Everyone is a three-point threat. Uh, they acquired Gallinari and Bogdanovich for their, their, their three-point capabilities, and they both did not play well whatsoever. So I would assume Atlanta comes reloaded, refreshed, ready to go home court. Obviously, uh, Trey Burke, Trey Burke, Trey Young was uh, enemy number one in New York City. I would assume that would make probably, I don't know, D. Rose or somebody enemy number one in Atlanta or Reggie Bullock for that matter. I know that Trey Young was kind of enjoying all of the the antics on and off the court. I know that he was enjoying the trash talk. And uh, I just want to touch really quick on the sensitivity of where the media is going. Kyle and I were talking about it prior to the episode of these setup questions. I believe somebody asked Derek Rose, I'm paraphrasing here, don't quote me, uh, something along the lines of how did he feel about Trey Young's response on the court after hitting his floater, when in reality, all Trey Young did was put his finger up and shush the crowd. I mean, ooh, the, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was cold, bro. Yeah, because yeah, he's cold, bro. He's cold. Bro, it, it, was, it, was, it was insane, you know what I'm saying? So I, I just – basketball has gotten not just basketball sports in general have gotten to a point where anything is turned into something that it doesn't need to be. I mean, we, we come from an era where people were fighting in basketball games and fighting at high school games and at football games, you know, parents talking shit, people fighting in the crowd, people throwing beer and drinks and food at people. I'm not saying in the Russell Westbrook reference, I'm just saying in general, in the crowd amongst themselves, there was shit talk all over the place. And of course there's going to be shit talk to the players. It's just, that's what happens when fans are in the stands. You know, there's no reason to think that shushing the crowd is disrespectful or an antic of, you know, not being respected towards the, the, the home fans. We need to understand that this is a competitive sport. You just had a game winner in your first playoff game with 33 points, 10 assists and seven rebounds. Do you really think that he's not going to do some sort of action to hype himself up or kind of silence the crowd in which he did? 
You know what I mean? Like, I think that the media needs to understand that if this is, this is a sport, this is a competitive sport, that things are going to happen. Trey Young didn't flip the crowd off. Trey Young didn't do anything disrespectful. Trey Young didn't go out there and moon the crowd and say, yeah, I can eat my ass. Like, if he were to go and do something outlandish like that, then granted, then yes, go and ask your question. How offended would you be? But the media needs to chill the fuck out, bro. I just, I don't like how they're always trying to set these athletes up for a prime response or trying to make them, you know, trip up. Derrick Rose responded accordingly. He goes, I'm used to people fighting in the stands and people getting beer dumped on them. And, and, you know, people really talking heavy shit and cursing out players and whatnot. And he's like, it don't bother me, but he said, and then he backed it up. He goes, he better be ready because New York ain't with the shits. And what happened? They locked up in the second half and they got the dub. So I would expect in this next game, New York to also come fully prepared. And I would hope that Julius Randall and RJ Barrett are ready for the next game because they cannot afford to keep having nights like this and hope that the Knicks win this series off of the back of Derrick Rose alone. Yeah, and I think what you're seeing with the Knicks, I don't think really we've talked about this yet, but for a lot of these guys, this is their first experience in the playoffs. Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. I mean, you can kind of go down the list. I know Nerlens Noel, he's been the playoff series before. Obviously, this is with a new team, so it's a little bit different. And even Reggie Bullock as well. So, yeah, but I this th- is quickly, this quickly too. I think, what, I think what you're seeing is a little bit of growing pains from the Knicks, especially from the younger players on the team that have been really the playmakers for the Knicks this season. And I think it's just them adjusting to the intensity that the playoffs brings. Butterflies. Yeah. And I think, I think to a certain extent that's normal for Julius Randall. I know he had a sensational year during a regular season. It's just that when it comes to the playoffs though, just all in all the game, the pace does slow down a little bit. Defense really does become a focal point in these playoff games. And you've kind of seen that in the results across most of these playoff games so far, a lot of teams are really struggling to get to hundred. You might have a game here or there where some team goes off offensively and scores like 120, 130 plus points in a game. But even in the first two games that we've seen with the Knicks and the Hawks points have been kind of tough to come by. Obviously you've had players like Trey young play well, you got Derek Rose playing well, but when it comes to the Knicks particularly, yeah, these guys are going through their first playoff experience and, there's a little bit of inexperience showing. And I think that's normal. It's not like these guys are just going to immediately hit the court in their first playoff game. And they're just going to pop off for 40 points. Now, Trey Young, is Trey Young, <laughs> Trey Young's been playing well. And even, I know this is a focus on the Knicks, but I, John Morant is another example where he's going absolutely nuts, but sometimes those are the exceptions. And when you look at some players on the Knicks going through their first playoff experience, I think the uh, the playoff experience is showing a little bit, but I don't think it's to the point where it's really dragging them down because look, they left New York when one and the way that they've been, the way that they played in the first half in the second game, they could have been down Oh two. So all in all, if you leave New York one, one game three, it's really a toss up at this point and somebody's going to go out and snatch a dub in game three in Atlanta. But, oh, yeah. Someone's going to have to be cold-blooded. But the, I, th- I think the Knicks will kind of work through this inexperience when it comes to the playoffs with the with the younger players on the roster. Hopefully. But speaking of the Knicks and the Hawks, they do play in Friday's matchups. They're one of the 
three matchups that three, we have uh, for Friday's matchups. Just to kind of go down the list here, we got the what do we got? We got the Nets and the Celtics playing. They have an eight thirty game on Friday, and then cool. we got the Clippers and the Mavericks playing their game three in Dallas, and then we got the Knicks and the Hawks, like I just mentioned, uh, playing game three in Atlanta. I mean, we might as well just keep it with the Knicks here just because we've been talking about them and the Hawks a little bit. So, Kev, let me get your prediction for how this game three is going to play out between the Hawks and the Knicks. Bias aside, I'm going Knicks all day. You know, New York forever. I got the Knicks going into Atlanta and taking game three. I think the confidence behind Derrick Rose, the defensive adjustments that Tom Thibodeau came with in the last game and and, and, and the excitement that the home crowd kind of gave the, the the home team in that point you know I think that they're ready for the smoke I think they're ready for the A so to speak and uh, I think that the Knicks win a close one once again and I think they take a 2-1 series lead I'm actually gonna go with the Hawks here I think the Hawks I think they found a pretty solid recipe of scoring with Trey Young and then getting some decent production from Bogdanovich and maybe Kevin Herter as well but I'm expecting Atlanta's bench uh, Atlanta's bench to show up big in game three. Like I mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, Lou Williams was pretty bad in game two. It was pretty much a non-factor. You also had, just looking at the players here, I'm just looking down the roster real quick. Um, I think Gallinari is going to step up a little bit better. Uh, he was two attempts in the field in game two, so I expect him to play a little bit better in game three. Kevin Herter, I think, is going to be a solid bench player for them. So I expect him to step it up a little bit. And then when I look at the starters, Trey Young, just keep on doing what he's doing. I think he's going to probably drop another 30 points against the Knicks, just to be 100% honest with you. I think Bogdanovich, I think he knocks down uh, a better percentage of his three-point shots in game three than he had in game two. And I expect Clinton Capella to really lock it down defensively. I don't know how much of an offensive presence he's going to be, but it wouldn't surprise me if he has a 10 to 15 plus rebound game probably gets a couple blocks as well. They were pretty effective with blocking the shots in game two against the Knicks. So I expect something similar in game three. And I need John Collins to step up. If John Collins steps up, I think the Hawks win a close one. I think this is going to be a pretty tightly contested game. I think it's going to be back and forth, but I think the the Hawks are going to be able to pull away in the last couple of minutes in the fourth quarter. I think they win a close one. I'm going to say like 105 to like 98. I think the Knicks are going to keep it close just because I got to keep eyes out for Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, and and RJ. Just we'll see what happens. But I got I got the Hawks winning this one in a close one, and then the Hawks go up 2-1 in the series. All right. Next on the fold, Brooklyn takes on Boston in TD Bank, or TD Garden, excuse me. Um I really don't really I have like no words for this series unfortunately I feel like this is wrapped up and ready to go on a bow this should be done in three because of the firepower that Brooklyn's been playing with and obviously Jason Tatum was out the last game we're not out but he left the last game with a a poked eye pretty severe he did not come back and the, the Nets just went off the resurgence in the fountain of youth with Blake Griffin playing phenomenal Obviously, the, the, the incredible trio that is Kyrie, KD, and Harden have been unstoppable. And Joe Harris went off last game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when, when all of them are firing on all cylinders, it's really hard to think that the shorthanded Celtics could even compete. 
Uh, I have Brooklyn winning this one by another blowout. I think that KD goes for 40. And, you know, I think that the team as a, as a whole just continues to mesh into the next round. I couldn't agree more. I got the Nets winning this one big. Um, I don't have KD going off in this game. I got Kyrie. This is his first game back in the Garden since – actually, no, True. this is his first playoff game back in the Garden since he departed from the Celtics a couple of years ago, just to clarify that. But I expect Kyrie to go off. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets probably around like 28, 30 points um, in his return to the Garden. And I think when I look across the board, I still think that Kevin Durant and James Harden are going to be extremely efficient from the field. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Blake Griffin chips in for another 10, 15 points. And then maybe coming off the bench, maybe you get Jeff Green a couple points, maybe get Landry Shamit some points off the bench as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think Brooklyn pretty much wipes the floor with Boston in this one. I think they take a commanding 3-0 series lead. And to kind of re- reiterate your point, they should really just end the series in three just to kind of save Boston from the just a game four disaster because I I think at this point, just looking at what Boston has, they're just a battered team. Jalen Brown's out of the lineup with his wrist surgery. Jason Tatum is dealing with that poke die in game two. I don't know how effective he's going to be. And the only way that the Celtics are going to win this game is if freaking Jason drops 35, 40, and then you got Kemba maybe dropping 25 or 30 and then hoping somebody else decides to pop off for the Celtics, but I just don't think it's in the cards for Boston here. And I hate to kind of be the pessimist here, but I see the Nets winning this by winning this one by like 20 plus. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. And obviously to close out the evening tomorrow night, we have the Dallas Mavericks at home against the LA Clippers in a game three, where we look to go up. And I said, we, uh, we look to go up three Oh against the Clippers. Um, personally, I have the Clippers bouncing back and taking this game realistically. Mm-hmm. I think that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined for about 60 points. I think that uh, the rest of the team kind of proceeds behind him. I think that Reggie Jackson has a good game overall. I think Marcus Morris finally gets it going and so on and so forth. Um, I don't know about the Maverick struggles. We are on an insanely confident train right now where we're just hitting technically over 50% from the three-point line in the last two games. Tim Hardaway is just unstoppable. Uh, Luke is going to get his buckets. Luke is probably going to have another 30 point game, maybe even a triple double 25, 10 and 10. But um, overall, I think that the, the Clippers do try to make adjustments and bounce back and they do steal game three here and they make the series a, a two, one interesting, interesting series. Yeah. I, I got the Clippers winning game three in Dallas just because their backs are up against the wall right now. Um, it was quite surprising to me that they lost both home games in game one and game two, especially to, I thought, honestly, they would have split the series in L.A. for the first two games, but Dallas was extremely impressive in those first two games. And I think, look, they're going to have to get better bench production, and I'm ho- and I'm pretty much hoping that that's what the Clippers can do in this game because in that game, too, their bench was abysmal outside of Reggie Jackson. So you're going to need Rondo to step up. You need Serge Ibaka to hit some jumpers. Serge Ibaka is questionable. He's got further back spasms. He might not even play. Well, I then, think he tweaked his back. If that's the case, then you're going to have to have some shooters step up. You got Nicholas Batum. Uh, then after that, it's it's thin. Their bench is thin it, right it, now. It's thin, but 
I'm really just going to rely on Kawhi and Paul George to really carry the team at this point, just because those are your top two guys to go with. And I think Kawhi is going to have probably a very similar game to what he had in game two. I mean, he had 30 points in the first half in game two and still managed to score 41 overall. I think he's going to have a pretty similar game in game three. And I think Paul George is going to have another big game as well. Maybe if you get some better production from Marcus Morris, that'll definitely help a little bit. But I think all in all, Dallas is going to be extremely competitive in this game. Look, they're trying to go for a 3-0 lead at this point. And I know Luka is just rocking and rolling right now. He wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out and gets another 30 point game, like you mentioned. I think this is the one game where I think Dallas's three point hot streak ends. I think they cool off a little bit. And I think the Clippers can take advantage of that and squeak out a close win. If I had to say, I think this is actually going to be a high scoring affair just because I don't think the Clippers defense is going to be able to contend with Dallas. I think it's going to be like 120 to like 115. But I think. I think the Clippers barely edges one out and they get the series to two one. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm going to stand by with what I said yesterday. Uh, if you guys haven't seen that, go and check out the segment that we posted. Um, I think it's still going to go off of Paul. I know that Kawhi is going to get his, but Paul played very aggressive in game two. And for whatever reason, if Paul's just off at the beginning, I think if the Clippers have to play catch up throughout the entire game and we start hitting decent shots, I think that we could, Sneak away with a 3-0 win, I would not be surprised. But I do believe in, in you know, I, feel, I believe that, you know, Paul and them are due up for a good one. Not that they've had a bad couple of games, but as a whole, I think the unit plays very well. But again, I stand by what I said. If Paul has a bad night, don't be surprised we go up 3-0 at the end of the night on Friday. I, th- I think the Clippers need to be aggressive out of the gate. And I think they really got to they really kind of get got to give the Mavericks a, a punch in the – well – I think honestly, the Clippers need to really kind of like punch them in the mouth. I'm not saying that like physically, I mean that verbally, just just because yeah. your backs are up against the wall. And I think a lot of people were expecting the Clippers to win the series in a close series. But mm-hmm. Dallas has really outperformed my expectations because I did pick the Clippers to win this series. But for this game three. Honestly, I, I, I'll just be honest. I think this is a toss-up, just because Bro, I have to. All I, 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 all I, I have is, to keep in mind Dallas's effectiveness. Exactly. They've been extremely all I'm effective. saying is, if they let us get going, it's going to be a roll in the America Airlines Center. We're home, and our fans are almost at full capacity as well, mm-hmm. dude. It's going to be electric. If, if, if Luca hits a crazy shot or Tim Hardaway Jr. starts to pop off, do not be surprised we run away with it. I'm not saying a blowout, but don't be surprised if we take game three. That's all I'm going to say. No, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But um, I know we mentioned this at the beginning of the, the episode. I know Kevin wanted to talk a little bit about the fan interactions that have been going on in the last couple games in some of the cities, such as like Utah, New York and Philly. So we've had a couple people get banned from the stadium or banned permanently or um, oh, what's the word? Indefinitely. It was inde- yeah. Indefinitely. That's, that was the word I was looking for. Um, Kev, just let me get your, your overall impression or just your opinion about these fan interactions that you've seen in the last couple of playoff games uh, this past week. So 
like I said with the Trey Young thing, we know that shit talk comes with it. Bro, we're talking about two of the biggest cities in the damn country, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and New York, New York. We're talking the city, the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. Two of the biggest shit-talking fans probably in all of sports. And we know that shit just tends to happen. Obviously, we know that a lot of fights are always happening in the Eagle Stadium during football season. We know that there's shit-talking all year in New York, even if they're like 2-14. and 14. It just comes with the territory. These cities just always go over the top, and they tend to extend or try to push every ounce of a limit when it comes to interaction with these players, whether that's cursing them out, saying whatever it is they got to say. And then there's instances like yesterday where we had popcorn dumped on Russell Westbrook as he was exiting the arena with an injury by a fan. We saw that there was a fan in New York spit as Trey Young was inbounding the ball on the sideline, spit on him next to 50 Cent and his date, whoever that female was, they got spit on her. And then obviously we don't know the full context of the situation that occurred in Utah, but we do know that multiple fans were escorted out and are banned permanently from that arena due to a verbal altercation with a player and or players. We know that it, history speaks up in the city of Utah where there have been a lot of racial slurs or inappropriate comments being made towards players in the last couple of years. And it's safe to assume, again, I don't know what happened. Kyle does not know. We do not know. There's not been an official report as to what was said. But if history were to repeat itself in the city of Utah, it would not be a surprise. So I'm just saying, when you're talking shit, there's literally is no reason to go and throw N-words out there or racial slurs or just disrespectful, like, yo, like, I hate your wife or like, you know, 10 times worse. I don't want to say it because it's just inappropriate. But, you know, there's just there's things you don't say, especially to an athlete that just ran and was just playing at the top of his game and, you know, exhausted, God forbid, coming off of an injury or, you know, even if they're coming off a win, that's the last thing you want to hear is someone heckling you or talking heavy trash like that. You know what I'm saying? To a point where a fan has to be banned. You know what I'm saying? We know if it was like, yo, like, F you, bro. Like, nobody cares about you. Or like, you know, like, you suck. Like, you're not going to get banned for that. For you to get banned from an arena with just words, it is safe to assume you said something so bad that when an official got word, it was over. Which is why I stand by the fact of there's a limit you don't cross in any sport as a fan. Throwing shit, touching the athlete, or saying something you can't come back from. Obviously, in the case of Philadelphia, you dumping popcorn, water, food, whatever. Russell Westbrook's exit in the arena in the middle of a playoff game. Obviously, we know Russell's one of the most competitive athletes in the NBA. And you think he wants to leave the arena? He's probably livid and upset and pissed that the Wizards are losing badly, might I add. And then he cannot help his team win. So then a fan's got to dump popcorn on him. Like, are you kidding me? It's not funny. It's not comical. It's not cute. Cut that shit out. Leave it in the fucking house, bro. There's no room for that in the league. There's no reason to disrespect a human being. I don't give a shit if you're an athlete. There's no reason to throw food at somebody. When we get into the spitting context with Trey Young, Kyle and I were talking about it. In this day and age, you spit on somebody, that's grounds to get shot, or you squaring up with somebody. Because Trey Young's a professional athlete, you think he can't do anything about it? Are you kidding me? What if Trey Young turns around and cracks you in the mouth? Trey Young's got the money to pay out the fine. Trey Young's got the money to pay out the freaking bill if he does get arrested. What about you? You got a black eye and you banned from the garden forever. Are you kidding me right now? Like, I don't see the need to cross the line of disrespect to, to human being to human being. Bro, I hate the Red Sox. I hate the Astros. I hate the Patriots. I'm not about to spit on a player in a game, let alone in the street. 
Why? It's like Russell said in his post-game press conference. You know you wouldn't do that to them in the street, but you feel safe because you're a fan in the stadium. There's no room for it, and I agree completely. These fans should be banned, maybe even fined, or have to pay some kind of fee because what they're doing right now to these players is unacceptable and intolerable. And I think that the NBA teams need to be making rules when things like that are caught. You're not only banned, but you should have to pay a fine yourself, whether that's double the amount of your ticket or whatever, because technically that's improper contact with a player and you should be you should be punished a lot more for that fans getting banned that's how i know we're getting back to normal man um just to be 100 percent honest with, with this um all these fan interactions with the players um i don't mind interacting um with i don't mind the interactions between the players and the fans as long as it's you know within just the confines of just friendly banter, just going back and forth. I've got no problem with that. Listen, these players have heard basically smack talk since they were probably in junior high playing junior high basketball. And even before that. So the idea of smack talk has been around pretty much throughout their entire careers. And I think really the, the most egregious one was probably what happened to Russell Westbrook. That's just, unco- that's just unacceptable. Like you don't pour from the spinning. I didn't see the spit one. I saw the video to the popcorn with Russell getting the popcorn on him. I'll send you the video. It's clear. Like you can see it. If you freeze frame it, it's spit and it hits him. I'm just basing off of what I saw. I only saw the video from the Russell uh, interaction, not the, uh, the Trey young one. I I heard about it, but I, I didn't see any video with it, but it's what you, it's reap. It's listen, you reap what you saw. I'm just going to keep it 100% honest. If these fans want to do that, I imagine there's alcohol at play here just because you're going to do something like that. You're going to spit in somebody's face or you're going to throw popcorn at somebody or you're going to throw out freaking slurs. I imagine that these people are probably a little bit too drunk or they've had too too much to drink. And look, I've been to basketball games and I know they usually do like a two beer limit. When you go to these games, there's no way that people listen to that. You know, you, you probably got people drinking four to five beers in the course of just three quarters because I think they shut down uh, alcohol service before it goes into the fourth quarter. So, but yeah, when it comes to these fans interacting with the players, like what we saw this past week, yeah, it's it's unacceptable. Um, And there's not really much else that you can do outside of just outright banning them. Um, I don't know if you're going to necessarily find people for their interactions with the fans because then that's more of a legal issue. Um, I don't think that's, it's really crossed that point yet unless somebody wants to press charges against these fans that are interacting with the players in this manner. But listen, fans are coming back into the stance. It's been almost, it's been over a year since fans have been able to come back into these games. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see a couple more incidents Hopefully not of this nature moving forward. Hopefully it's not to the point where people are spitting on one another. But I sent you the video, by the way. It's a five-second video. If you look at it, you'll just see the and the loogie flies and it hits 50 cents date and it's kind of gross. Yeah, I'll 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 watch it when you're making your points. But yeah, all in all, listen, you reap what you sow. You want to go out and do this this type of childish behavior. It's on you. So, but 
you know, when it comes to just when, when it comes to words being thrown out, I don't think that should really be that big of a deal. Listen, dude, we grew up in freaking Call of Duty servers. Are you kidding me? I've heard everything. You want to talk about hard R's getting thrown around left and right? Dude, getting a getting a an uh, Xbox 360 Modern like, Warfare 2 chat. Like, bro, it's like kids nowadays wouldn't survive no. off of what we heard. Absolutely no. not. And these players can handle. They could handle. Granted, you know, nobody should be throwing racial slurs at people. That that's unacceptable. But you gotta let you gotta you gotta literally just brush that to the side. It's not that big of a deal. You kind of have to assume that these people are just out of pocket. That they may have a little bit too much alcohol in their system. And they're just, they're just venting. So when it comes to the verbal abuse, they really shouldn't be taking that too seriously. But when it comes to spitting and throwing popcorn on people, yeah, that's, that's out of line. That's out of line for me. Hey, final point was crazy to me, right? These are NBA playoff games, bro. These tickets, not cheap. You really finna throw your whole ticket away to act like an asshole like literally to act like a you see you see i bro that's a whole and that hit her at least they were wearing a mask bro i'm wearing a mask i'm telling you man these nba players got more patience than me bro somebody spit on me we got problems man i'm just a regular joe schmo middle class citizen in the united states of america bro if i'm a multi-millionaire in the middle of a playoff game and you spit on me Bro, we have issues. If our test was in this game, Malice at the Palace, boy, we about to have Master at the Garden, bro. We about to have Ron Artest beat the shit out of somebody. Come on, man. That's what I'm uh, saying, bro. There's a line. You don't uh, uh, do that shit. Uh, uh, listen, man, that's your city. That's your city. <sighs> Sometimes I'm not. I'm never embarrassed where I come from, but it's just like, bro, so many people just out of pocket. It's people like that that give us a bad name. I get it. It's the Knicks, it's the Garden, it's the playoffs, it's the intensity. I don't want to hear it, bro. I don't care if I'm blacked out drunk. There's nothing on this earth that's going to make me literally say, oh, on a person, because <laughs> I'm going to get my ass handed to me. So, yeah. no, man, no, there's there's no excuse for it. And that, that, I, I don't want to keep harping on it. That's the last time I'm going to talk about it today. I, I, I don't know where that loogie came from, but I think it came from deep. Shit, like two, like bro. two, three rows deep. And he was like, boy, Fuck, man. Anyway, um, that's all of our NBA topics, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure we've hit everything we needed to in terms of predictions, talk about the Knicks game. Uh, I mean, we could talk quickly about the Jazz just to give the credit to where it's due. Uh, John Morant, excuse me, Jazz and Grizzlies game. John Morant went and dropped 45 points last night, 47 points last night. Absolutely ridiculous. Granted, the Grizzlies did get slapped up. But my God, the Grizzlies gave it everything they had. They could not stop the front side of a barrel on the defensive end, but John Morant was sensational. And I think that he needs to be given a lot more credit than he has been lately. He scored 25 points the first game and then 47 last night. He is just playing basketball at a very, very, very high level. And John Morant was literally the only reason it kept them in that game. Again, the, 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 the Grizzlies did play well as a team. And, you know, if you go and look at their box score as a whole, they did play very well team basketball. At least the starters did. And I'm just looking at it here. Obviously, Jaw had 47. Uh, Valanchunas had 18. Dylan Brooks had 23. Uh, Kyle Anderson had 11. And Jaron Jackson had 16. The bench just did not produce. But, I mean, when Jaw's basically scoring more than half your points, if not half your points, uh, 
it's a little hard for anybody else to kind of seem relevant. But the Jazz, as a, as a unit, the Jazz played incredibly well, and that's why everybody on their team that touched the floor had double figures except for two players. Uh, O'Neal had 14, Bogdanovich had 18, Gobert 21, Conley had 20. Uh, you had, obviously, Donovan Mitchell on a minute restriction come back with 26 minutes, scored 25 points. And then you had Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year, 16 points. And Joe Ingles, 14 points, uh, sixth man of the year finalist. So the Jazz were just like, – they had one of the, the best nights possible. They just they, – they did everything they needed to do, but Memphis made it a close game in the third quarter where they had 43 points in the third. And they just they, – they found a way to claw back, but Utah's offense was just too much. That or Memphis's defense was just not holding. And, you know, I, I know that we said there was only going to be a few NBA topics, but I just wanted to give credit, like I said, where it was due. The Jazz played lights out in terms of offensively. And then John Morant is just a, a sensational talent that we all need to appreciate a lot more because that made us fun to watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, all, all in all, I thought both teams shot extremely well yesterday. I mean, both teams shot 54% from the field. Granted, the Grizzlies didn't shoot as well behind the three-point line as the Jazz did. The Jazz almost shot 50% behind the three-point line as well. It's just at that point, they're just knocking down their threes, and there's really not much else the Grizzlies can do. And the Grizzlies have a good defense, but it, yesterday it did not show. And I will say this, though. That second-half start that the Grizzlies had was sensational because they were down 20 points at halftime. I believe if I remember right, the score was 74 to 54 going into the third quarter. And at the end of the third, I think they were only down six. So they were able to claw back in that third quarter and make it a lot more compelling than what it looked like at the end of the first half. And you really kind of have to give a lot of credit for John Morant. This is his first playoff series in his career. And he almost dropped 50 points. It's absolutely nuts. You know, I know we were talking about the Knicks just a couple of minutes ago about maybe the playoff inexperience showing with some of the younger players on the team, not showing up with John Morant here. He's been sensational. Even in the play-in tournament games, I thought he played extremely well. And it's starting to show itself again in the first playoff series of his career. And who knows? This series is going back to Memphis for game three. And it could be a really compelling game three just because I think a lot of people wrote off the Grizzlies just because they are the eight seed going up against the number one seed in the Utah Jazz. But you get this type of production from John Morant, from Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, and maybe Jaron Jackson here and there. I'm telling you, this team can compete with Utah. I would not put it past Memphis to make this series a little bit longer than I think people were expecting. Just because... I don't think people were expecting Ja to go off like this. No, definitely not. But, I mean, do you want to talk about the Miami Heat and the Bucks game? Because, I mean, it's essentially over. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blowout. It's a, do you want to just do kind of a quick dive into that? Just Not really. It's They're literally, guys, it's 107 to 77. Miami's just not playing well whatsoever. Like, literally, Miami's scrubs are in the game. There's only two minutes left. Miami just has not come to play and it is what it is. It just seems like the, the inefficiency offensively, like we said the other day, it's, it's just, it's just that it's happening. Uh, Milwaukee's hitting on all cylinders and it's sad. It really is. I predicted, you know, Miami to come and win this game at seven, but they are just absolutely just not the same team. Something's 
I don't know if something's like caught. What's that? What's that thing? Like in, in a wheel, like there's something stuck in the wheel. Like I have, I forget how that saying goes. There's a, there's a missing cog, a missing piece. And Miami's just a shell of themselves. I just, there's not really much else to say, honestly. Uh, honestly, I don't know what's going on with Jimmy, but there's a part of me that thinks that he's hurt or he's dealing with something because he has not looked like himself this entire series. Even I don't want to. Eh, I don't I, want to say all that. It, it's just because last year he was going off. He was shooting extremely well from the field. In this series, that is not the case. And their defense has been absolutely atrocious. They're I, playing him very well. You said it. It's Drew Holiday, dude. That's a that's a body they didn't have before. Yeah. It makes a big difference. But, I mean, even if that's the case, Drew Holiday is only locked up on one person. They may switch him off just for certain matchups. But – Tyler Hero is having a bad series. Duncan Robinson has been an absolute no-show in game three. And game two. I mean, Bam's got 17 points. It had 17 points or has 17 points. It's just this team just doesn't have any life this year. And it's really weird just because of this team really outperformed last year in the bubble. It made it all no the way to the, NBA finals. the finals. Yeah. I, I didn't see it, but – they really went above and beyond last year. And then this year, I think they've just cratered in the playoffs. And I remember we put out a YouTube video just a couple days ago about us saying that we thought that this was going to be one of the most compelling, if not the most compelling series in the first round of the playoffs. And it looks like this is going to end up in a sweep. Crazy. Hey, Milwaukee stepped up. Shout out to Giannis, you know, trying to fight off the narrative that he can't beat them or he can't play well in the postseason. He's been playing very well, very effective in this playoff. The acquisition of Drew Holiday is coming to fruition and making it look like he's going to be a big piece in their playoff run this season. Chris Middleton is the third piece. We, oh, should I say the second piece in that system that we all know plays very well in the postseason? He has no issue making big shots, a.k.a. game one. So if this ends in a sweep, then so be it. You know, things are meant to be wrong. We're meant to make mistakes and choices and it just seems we made a bad choice in this series, at least going the length that it was. Yeah, more, more likely than not, we'll be probably more times we'll be wrong than we are yeah. right. And this is probably 100%. and this is probably one of them, just because. Oh yeah. I thought after game one, I thought this was going to be a great series. It was a great first game, but the last two games have just been tough to watch. It was like a messed up sample size of something because they they, they just don't look good. Yeah, but but shout out to the Bucks. The Bucks have been playing extremely well in this Big series. Time. And they're just getting better production across the board. I yeah. mean, it's not just Giannis and Chris Middleton that are playing well. You got Drew Holiday. He's stepping up in a major way. You yeah. got Brooke Lopez. He's chipping in here and there. You got Bryn Forbes coming off the bench. Whoever this nowhere. kid is, bro. Who is he, this kid? I mean, he's going out there. And I'm not saying he's going out there and like being like an all-star player. But he's going above and beyond an He's going above and beyond any expectations that I thought he was going to come off the bench with. Yeah, and then, and then you got you got some decent players in Pat Cunnington and Bobby Portis. They're By the way, guys, the game went final, one thirteen eighty four. The Bucks take an official three zero lead in Miami. Ugh, sad to see, Kyle. I apologize. I just wanted to give them that update. It depends on who you're, you're sad about. If you're the freaking Heat fans, yeah, you'd be sad about it. But if you're no, a Bucks no, fan, I'm, excited. You'd be I'm happy. sad. I'm sad as a basketball fan. I really, really thought this was going to be a good series. Like prior to Game One, I thought this series was going to be gritty and chippy and and back and forth. You know, one game, one game, maybe two games and two games. 
and it's just it's leaving me disappointed you know I wanted more from this and it's just you know we're not getting it so it kind of sucks I know Miami fans are probably absolutely fucking pissed but I'm talking about in general it's sad to see Miami fall apart this way especially now taking it it, it has not been done for a team to come back from a 3-0 deficit. So it, it's looking like along the side of history, Miami will either lose this game in four or they'll find a way to muster up some kind of strength and lose this game and lose a series in five. I don't even think this is a coaching issue. It's just, no, I, not at I all. Think this might just be a matchup problem. Because, not executing. I mean, you've got some players on the freaking heat that are playing absolutely atrocious basketball. Goran Dragic had eight points. Trevor Reza played 18 minutes, zero. Tyler Hero, 25 minutes, he scored nine points. Duncan Robinson, 24 minutes, he scored two points. I mean, these are just brutal stats to look at. I mean, their leading scorer in game two was Dwayne Dedman. 21 points? He had 19, I think. 19, sorry. I, I just – it, like Miami's going to have to really go to the drawing board this offseason because I was not expecting this. Absolutely no. not. For the Bucks to be up 3 0. I couldn't have like predicted a, that. Not from me. The Bucks are looking like a serious contender in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, I know I know, I know I know that there were some question marks about this team simply just because they haven't had a lot of success in the playoffs recently. But all in all, this is a well rounded team. This might be the best well rounded team that the Bucks have had even though the last two years they've been the number one seed, even though they haven't done anything with it, they are the three seed this year. And this might be the best team that Milwaukee has fielded out of the last three seasons. Yeah. Big time. But you know, you you live and you learn, you know, next year, chalk it up, see what happens, maybe break it up, see what happens. I don't know. I don't think Miami will break it up, but I'm just saying, you know, it's always an option. Nope. So they had the chance to go get James Harden, but they didn't do it. You know, I mean, they were asking for an arm and a leg and the kitchen sink to boot. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have done it either if I was Miami, to be honest with you. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, with that with, with, with that segment coming to a close and the NBA playoffs now being a wrap in terms of on the episode, uh, we're going to transition this and give Kyle the green light to talk about his Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Kyle, the NHL, NHL playoffs have failed to disappoint. The, the Lightning are on to their next round, and that is the second round of the playoffs. So... Take the floor, man. Take the reins. This is all you. What's going on with them lightning bolts? Oh, the lightning was great in game six yesterday against the Florida Panthers. And this was a series that, looking back at it, it was a great series to watch. Just because you got two Florida teams. I believe this is actually the first matchup between the Panthers and the Lightning in a playoff series in the history of the NHL. So it's very odd that you see two teams from Florida of all places, going at it for advancing into the second round of the playoffs. But I thought the Lightning looked pretty good offensively in game six. They got some great production from Steven Samkos. And not only that, I think I thought Braden Point had probably one of the prettiest goals that we've seen in the playoffs this year. He had a nice little juke on the goalie that the Panthers had. I forget, I forget that kid's name. He's like a 19-year-old kid just got like his first start in game five, balled out in game five. But in game six, it was just too tall of a task just because the lightning were on. And they ended up scoring four goals. Three of them were against the goalie. The the last one was an empty netter. But all in all, either the lightning played their best game in game six, and they'll get a couple days off 
to find out whether or not they'll be playing either the Nashville Predators or the Carolina Hurricanes in the second round of the playoffs. But if I had to put money on who I'd bet going into the next series against the Lightning, I'm putting it on the Lightning simply just because they are the reigning NHL Stanley Cup champions from last year. And they've looked really good so far. Granted, that series against Florida did go six game, but it was a well-earned series win for the Lightning. And granted, it's not going to get easier from here on out if you're a Lightning fan. But I think the Lightning have the players and they have the cachet to be well-equipped to go up against anybody moving on in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I think I think this team is, is set up for possibly another Stanley Cup run if they play their cards right, just because all in all, all of their lines from the first line down to the third, it's impressive. So just we'll figure out who they play in the next couple of days. I believe Nashville and Carolina are in game six of their series. So, you know, whoever wins that series, it'll be a fun matchup between the lightning and whoever they play, whether it's the Carolina hurricanes or the Nashville predators. But I think the lightning do have a slight advantage in whoever they play in the second round of the playoffs. Well, when you have a hot sheet like that going into any postseason, and, you know, you're coming off a good series like that, you know, you, you tend to side with the team that dominated in theirs and, you know, team that played relatively well. So and we do know that the Tampa Bay Lightning have a history of playing really good hockey in the postseason, especially over the last couple of years. They've made it decently far, excluding the year that they were bounced out in the first round mm-hmm. when they had the league's best record. Obviously, coming off of their Stanley Cup finals win last year, they are the defending champions, so they do have a lot to prove and carry through. And who's to say they don't repeat? I, I Again, I haven't watched hockey this season a lot. So, I mean, Kyle, that's just a question for you. Do you think with everything going on and all these other teams playing well that they have a chance at repeating back-to-back? I think you kind of have to look at this series to series. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead to say that, oh, yeah, they're going to be the instant contender to – went bad to back, but they started off on a good note so far. And really, I, I didn't really get to mention him in the first point. I thought Andre Vasilevsky in game six was outstanding. He pitched a shutout and he was just a wall against anything the Panthers threw up against him in game six. And look, he's been one of the better goalies, if not one of the top goalies in the NHL the past couple seasons. And he's proving it time and time again in big moments in these playoff games. He did it last year when they were playing in the bubble, which I thought looking back at it is a very difficult one to win just because winning that Stanley cup last year was not under normal circumstances. I mean, they were in a bubble for three months, very similar to did what they the, play in a bubble. Did they? Yeah. There were two arenas that they had set up, but the finals were played in one, in one stadium. But I didn't know that. now that you kind of have the traditional circumstances, you've got fans in the stand, you're traveling to and from the cities where both teams are coming from. So there is a sense of normalcy in that aspect when it comes to these playoff series again. But I think this team is well-equipped to make another run at the Stanley Cup. I don't know if they're necessarily going to win it, but they pretty much have the same roster as they had last year. They've had a couple role players leave, go to different teams. But this team can score, and their defense can be outstanding. And even against the Panthers, 
I mean, outside of the two games that they lost, I thought they looked pretty good offensively and defensively. They were stout, especially in game six, because Andre Vasilevsky had probably one of his best playoff performances in recent memory to close out that series just a couple days ago. Good to know that we are still very well in tune with the postseason that is going on in hockey. Thank you for saving my life in that regard. Oh, yeah. You know, podcast would not be the same without you being able to give stuff and some knowledge on things that I was completely unaware of. It, but other than that, guys, I don't really have anything going. I don't have anything else for you guys. So, we got Kyle. One more. Um, we got one more. Oh, what do you got? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is it? Oh, yeah. Shit. That's how you know it's been a long day, guys. I got that second COVID vaccination today. I'm sitting here like, woo, ready to go to bed, son. Um, my bad. Brain fart. It happens at this age. So Julio Jones, one of the league's most exciting receivers to watch, one of the league's best receivers when healthy, uh, is available for trade by the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Falcons. Damn, this is messing me up more than I thought. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Leo one ta- Jones. One take. That's all we do. Listen, listen. We don't. We don't. We don't do read reruns here. Unless we started off by saying one of our old podcast names. This was. This is just a run through. So you guys are seeing an, an authentic podcast right here. You know, appreciate this. Um, so Julio Jones, obviously, when healthy, is one of the most dynamic playmaking wide receivers in the league. And the Falcons are pretty much blowing it all up. They are just rebuilding from the inside. Obviously, they have drafted Kyle Pitts. They drafted uh, Kelvin, Calvin Ridley in the, uh, a few years back. Julio's got a massive contract and is looking to leave. Now, the issue with this, me and Kyle were actually talking about it off air prior to the recording. We think Shannon Sharp put Julio Jones in a very, very bad position in terms of at least negotiations to where he would want to go. For those of you that are unaware, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless obviously have the show Undisputed on Fox every morning. And it looked like Shannon called Julio randomly or told Julio to call him back. They had a phone call live on TV where Julio said, I'm out of there. I'm getting out of there. And he, the only thing he said was, I don't want to go to Dallas. I want to, I want to go somewhere where I can win. We do not know the context of that conversation of whether or not he knew he was on the phone or should I say whether or not he knew he was recording or whether or not, sorry, again, brain fart whether or not Julio knew that he was being recorded on air live on Undisputed. We don't know if Shannon gave him a heads up prior. We have zero context, but there are reports circulating that the Atlanta Falcons are not happy with how he handled that situation on TV and the negotiation processes of the, 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 the team and Julio are not in good graces right now. So Julio obviously making that statement that he wants out kind of puts the team in an awkward position of saying, well, he publicly said he doesn't want to come back. So we got to definitely get rid of him. But he wants to go somewhere where they can win. Who's to say they don't ship him somewhere that offers Atlanta the best package, but obviously is a terrible team. So my question to you, Kyle, is if a team offers you the right package, whether that's two first-round picks, a first-round pick, and some players in return, if you're a front office person of the personnel group of the Falcons, a GM, a president, whatever, are you even slightly taking into consideration the team that Julio wants to go to after what he just did? No. Because Julio let his intentions or let his feelings be known, whether he thought he was having a private conversation private conversation with Shannon or not. And listen, I think the idea of 
Julio being moved this offseason had already been talked about before the airing of that undisputed episode just a couple Agreed. days ago. So it doesn't really come to, as a shock to me that Julio just verbalized what we were all thinking anyway. It's just now the place is, okay, well, now the thing is, where is he going to go? I know that there was a mention that he's potentially looking at either the Patriots or the Titans. I know those were the first two teams that popped up uh, on my Twitter feed. The other day, some of the NFL reporters mentioned those two teams as well. A.J. Brown is campaigning for him hard, bro. I bet. I bet. Made a TikTok about it. I bet. So, listen, Julio Jones is still one of the top receivers in the NFL. So, if you got a chance to go get him to bolster your wide receiving core, I think it's worth it. Now, granted, you're not getting Julio from a couple years ago when he was just an absolute monster, like when they went on the Super Bowl run back in 2016. But, I mean, if you look at, like, the the Patriots, for example, he'd be a true number one receiver for that team. And on the Titans, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, with Derrick Henry in the backfield. That'd be tough. Sheesh. That'd be tough to match up against defensively. So, look, it, it's like I said, I, I think Shannon did a disservice to Julio because y- you don't do that without Julio's consent. And I don't think Julio knew that he was being recorded on live television when that phone call was taking place. So, I think Shannon was a little out of pocket at that one. I think, I think he was trying to keep it friendly, but that's a conversation that you have to have in private, not in public. So yeah, even though that I mentioned earlier that we both kind of suspected that Julio wanted to be out even before that episode of undisputed aired, that's just, it wasn't the time or place for Shannon to really do that. So if anything, Shannon's probably the one out of pocket here. I think Julio Definitely. was just, Julio was the one just basically airing out. I don't want to say his grievances, but he was basically just airing out his opinion. He said, I just don't want to be there anymore. And I don't blame him. Atlanta's not going anywhere anytime soon. So Julio's going to find a new frontier, a new team to possibly thrive with, possibly for the end of his career. So I hope nothing but the best for Julio. But the interesting thing for me is how is this going to affect Fox's relationship with the NFL? Because moving forward, you can't have analysts airing out private, like basically what was thought to be a private conversation if you're in Julio Jones' camp on national television. You can't have that. Again, but we don't know. I feel exactly. like if, some, if something illegal happened like that, I feel like Julio would have publicly said, I had no idea it was being recorded. I feel like the Falcons would have said something. I'm, I'm leaning more towards that he had some kind of an idea that he was going to be on the air, especially because the time – he knew shit like, like everybody in the world knows Shannon's on air every day at the same time. Mm-hmm. Granted, unless it's a sick day, unless he specifically said, hey, call while I'm on the show. I, I'm, I really disagree only on this particular part that you're saying just because this happened when Tuesday, right? Yeah, this only happened a couple of days ago. So if something bad would have came from this, I think we would have saw immediate news of Shannon's been released from Fox. There's been an issue. Shannon will be uh, suspended from further notice. Julio Jones would have rebuttaled, yo, dude, I didn't know it was on the air. To a Falcons fans, I'm sorry. To the Falcon organization, I had no idea. There would have been some repercussion behind this by now. 48 hours professionally at, at this point, there would have been some repercussion at this point. That's why I think that, you know, 
I think that Julio definitely knew and he just didn't care. I may backtrack just a little bit. Had Julio done this on like Shannon's podcast, the, the club Shay Shay podcast that he does on Instagram. That's different. A hundred percent. If he did it on that open game, it's fair game. As far as I'm concerned, it's not a problem there because at, the, at least then Julio knows he's being recorded. In yeah. This one, it's a little bit, the, so you're a little bit in more of the gray here, just because I don't know if Julio actually knew that he was being recorded. So it's a little bit trickier in this situation, but yeah, like but, I said, gray area for sure. But all in all, Julio needs to get out of Atlanta. Yeah. He needs to stay healthy too. I mean, he missed the most games that he's missed in his career. I think he missed like seven games last season. So, you know, yeah. he needs to make sure he's healthy for whatever team he does go to. Hopefully it is a competitor. Um, I know that the Colts were rumored to be looking at him. But with the asking price being a first-round pick and Ballard being a horde of uh, draft picks, aside from the Carson Wentz trade in which we found a way to keep our first-round pick, um, I do not think that we're going to give up anything like that of any sort for Julio Jones, especially someone with that contract and at that age. So kudos to anybody willing to take that gamble. But since I did bring up the Colts and Kyle is a Patriots fan, there is one last topic I want to touch on. The legendary great Kicker Adam Vinatieri has retired from the NFL after 24 long seasons. He is the NFL's leading point scorer in NFL history. And I know that he won both teams, or should I say he won Kyle three Super Bowls. And obviously his greatest kick was the AFC championship against the Raiders, right? The it was the AFC was division, divisional rough in 2001. So he's, he's hung up three banners for the Patriots. He's given, he's assisted us in getting ours as well in 2006. So, I mean, Kyle, you have obviously a lot more time with him in terms of the greatest at the time of him literally kicking you Super Bowl after Super Bowl or kicking you into the Super Bowl. I just give me your fondest memory, which I already probably know exactly which one it is, about Adam Benetieri, uh for his, his illustrious, beautiful career. Well, actually, I'll split it into two. So what I think his best moment was, his most iconic kick, was not the game-winning kick in Super Bowl 36 against the Rams. That's his most memorable one, just because it took place in a Super Bowl. But the most iconic one to me was, like you mentioned, kicking that game-tying field goal in a freaking blizzard against the Raiders in the division round of the playoffs in 2001-2002. Because the circumstances of that kick are absolutely nuts. I mean, I was I remember watching the game. I'm like, I can't even see the freaking post because it was snowing that hard in Foxborough that night during that game. The fact that he was able to knock in that field goal, granted it was a line drive kick in the middle of a blizzard, it, it's unbelievable. It's it's very hard for a lot of kickers to kind of replicate that kind of kick because it's very uncommon to see a game really affected by the weather that much. And the fact that he was able to execute despite all of the circumstances going against him with snow driving into space, you got probably a 20, 25 mile an hour wind gust on top of it to essentially tie the game against one of the best teams in the AFC at that point. It's absolutely incredible. And then he followed it up by winning Super Bowl 36 with a 49 yard field goal to give New England their first Super Bowl championship, it's unbelievable. He's been in the league for a quarter of a century. Like, think about that. Granted, I know he's a kicker, but still, almost 25 years in the league, that's crazy. 
So I know he split most of his time. He split his time between the Patriots and the Colts. Obviously he's known probably more for his moments with the Patriots than he did with the Colts, but all in all, he's the greatest kicker in NFL history. As far as I'm concerned, there have been some great kickers, even in recent memory, Adam Vinatieri being one of them, Savannah Janikowski, another one, but Adam Vinatieri is the GOAT as far as kickers go in NFL history. And I've got no problem saying that, but all in all, oh, absolutely. All in all, a great career. And I'm glad he's, go, he's going out on his terms and he deserves it. Yeah. I mean, probably my, my fondest moment of Vinatieri would be the game against the Baltimore Ravens in the early 2000s when he had pretty much just got to Indianapolis and we ended up winning that score by a score of 15 to six. He had five field goals for us to win the game and move us on further into the postseason, or, you know, put us into a better position for the postseason in which we ended up winning in that season for Super Bowl 41. And the man was just, I know he didn't win us a Super Bowl or he didn't win us, you know, games like that, like for you guys, but the, it, for me, it's the level of consistency. I mean, he was literally the best for 10 plus years. I mean, this man was at one point, if it was within three points, we're, we're tying the game or we're winning. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't doubt it, whether that was 40 to 50 yards. I know he wasn't the strongest kicker to go out and hit like Justin Tucker, 60 plus, 55 plus. But if it was within a certain range and it was game on the line and we had Peyton Manning driving and it was within a relatively close amount or we were tied, I'm not even he- bro, I'm not even blinking. I'm chalking that up. Like he very, very, very rarely missed field goals. And at a sensitive time in my childhood where we had one of the greatest regular season kickers in Mike Vanderjet, you know, just absolutely just like automatic, had perfect seasons and maybe one or two misses basically. And he just could not hit in the postseason whatsoever. I know we should have been in the Super Bowl in 2005 instead of the Steelers, but he missed and he shanked the fucking awful field goal. And it just, we literally went from good slash, oh my God, I'm trying to kill you to the GOAT. And from 2005, 2006 on up until his last season to where he obviously was not himself and he just could not hit the front side of a barrel and he lost us a couple of games, barred, whatever. Um, it just, you can't say enough other than thank you as a cult fan. I'm sure as a Patriot fan, these are just these, another reason our generation is one of the greatest because we got to watch, I know people laugh at kickers and punters and special teamers, but he literally has scored the most points in NFL history for a reason. Mm -hmm. He's just done it for 24 years. He's done it consistently and he's the greatest for a reason. Hats off to him especially for him announcing it on uh, Pat, the Pat McAfee show, the way that he did, those two have a very great and honest and open relationship. So for him to do it with Pat was awesome. I wouldn't have ended it on a better way, but shout out to the goat, man. Adam Vinatieri, amazing year or amazing uh, career. First ballot hall of famer without a doubt. Man was, man was incredible. I know we toss the word goat around a lot nowadays, just because, Somebody's just going on a tear. We call them the goat, no matter who, what sport it is or who it is. But no, Adam Vinatieri, as far as kickers go, it's the best that I've ever seen. He was automatic, especially in those clutch moments. No other guy I'd rather have kicking for my team than uh, than Adam Vinatieri. Hundred percent. See it. Hundred percent. But with that said, Kev, I think that wraps it us. I think it wraps it up for us today. 
Yeah, man. Great way to end an episode. Obviously, it was a little bit of an add-on at the last second, but I figured since we were on the NFL topic, what better way to end it than, you know, giving praise to a guy that's won us a boatload of football games in our childhood. For Yeah, for both our teams. You're, you ain't lying. So, you know, other than that, guys, we are at 159 subscribers, one away from 160. I know our goal was to hit 175 by the end of the month of May. Today was probably one of our best days in terms of views. Um, we do appreciate every and all support i really really cannot stress this enough guys if you're not already following if you're not already subscribed please click the subscribe button and click notifications to you know get notified whenever we do post a new video we are going to work on some different topics and segments and ways to kind of better make a little bit more of a the channel a little bit more attractive you know we're not going to keep putting up these long ended videos shout out to my partner man doing all the video editing work this would be absolutely nothing without him doing it all and i know that i always put him on the spot but Dude, you literally carry this on your shoulders a lot of times. And I know that I have missed a couple of episodes due to some different stuff. But, dude, without you, the show would absolutely be nothing. So kudos to Kyle. Truly and honestly, I appreciate you having the the knowledge to do this and the patience to deal with my shit. So truthfully and honestly, bro, I'm grateful for you. And I wouldn't have a better partner and a better co-host. It's my pleasure, man. There's no problem whatsoever. Just honestly, it's just it's just a part of the process. It's just, you know, we do these episodes and it's like just trying to show the world what, what we're capable of. It's just two guys talking about sports. It's as simple as do that. It anyway, why not just do it recorded? Exactly. And honestly, the, the, the one thing that I had to get comfortable with is talking to, in front of a freaking camera. Now I've gotten to the point where that's not really an issue anymore. And now it's just, now we're just trying to enhance this experience, not just for us, but for everybody who's watching. So, or listening. Because, you know, the podcast isn't only just something that we watch on YouTube. It's something that people listen to. You know, they could be driving to work. They could be just chilling at home. Just and we're just something that they that they listen to. So, you know, our job is just to provide whoever listens or watches our episodes the best sports analysis and sports entertainment that we can provide. So, you know, and without these sports, you know, we wouldn't have nothing to talk about. So. You know, you have to appreciate the players that are going out basically on an internet or a night, a day in and night and night basis and providing the entertainment that we all love with sports. So it's, uh, it's fun and just keep on grinding, man. Just keep on grinding and see where it goes from here. Hell yeah. This is honestly no better way to say it. This, this is just something that we love to do. And I know I've said it a multitude of times, but it's just like, we, truly and honestly love this so much and we had talked about this for so long to know that we are coming up on a year of doing this not just together but individually in our own podcast rights we're coming up I'm pretty sure I've, I'm pretty sure I passed a year at this point in terms of you know officially recording so it just it's nice to know how far we've come and how much further we have to go between video clarity audio clarity I'm in a terrible financial situation right now so I'm still using these you know, your boy is working on, you know, fixing a lot of things in the new apartment and getting some stuff in order. So when that mic does come, trust me, y'all gonna know audio is gonna be a lot better. But positively, we are expanding internationally uh, in terms of the Spotify. We are getting views from Brazil, Singapore, Portugal, you know, just different Ireland, just different countries all around the world. You know, it is a very small, small, small percentage but to know that people are hearing us across the globe is kind of cool to know that our voices are being extended internationally is awesome. Granted, 
Anchor does pick up a multitude of, of data, whether or not they accidentally click us or not, we'll never know. But the point is we're getting data that shows people are hearing us from all around the world. I think that's amazing. So again, we're just happy to be doing this for you guys. We're happy to be doing it for ourselves. And we look forward to the next coming months as this podcast continues to grow and improve. I'll tell you what, it's going to be all NBA from here on out, dude. I mean, until probably July. Because I know the, yeah, I know the, the, final, the finals aren't going to wrap up until the middle of July. And then after that, we got the Olympics. That'll be a two, three-week stretch. And then we transition right into the NFL. Yeah. And the NBA draft is literally midsummer too with free agency. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I know it's like, usually like the summertime is usually like when we get a break, but this year's a little bit different just because everything got screwed up with COVID last year. I mean, the content just for sports is going to be just explosive for the next six to seven months. Oh yeah. Baseball season, all-star game. Oh man. Stanley cup final, you name it. Yeah. We got it. It's coming for y'all, man. It's coming. Exactly. We gonna get this. I'm skinny as shit, but we gonna get this. Russell Westbrook, my arm is killing me from the shot. I know Kev, you're going to be recuperating tomorrow after that shot. For that's that shot. exactly why I said, yo, let me get this shot today. So by Monday I'm ready or by Sunday night, I'm ready to go. So your boy's going to be all right. I might be out of commission for 24 to 48 hours, but we're going to make it because we got shit to talk about next week. So with that being said, that's the end of today's episode. And again, as always, we appreciate any and all support. Thank you guys so much for everything. Kyle, I'm going to hand it off to you, my brother. That's all I got. I got nothing else to add. I think you pretty much knocked that out of the park, but I'll say it just just because I always say it. Once again, we just appreciate you guys tuning in, supporting the channel supporting the podcast in any way shape or form and pretty much all that i got and we will see you guys next week hey there fabulous souls i'm stephanie baklaan and i'm eden Alpert. and we're the hosts of the brand new podcast unapologetically fab get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it we're all about changing the narrative leaning into who you are and live in a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.